Listeners seeking support and information about this topic can reach out to Lifeline on 13 11 14 and Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36. If you're listening outside Australia, reach out to a similar organisation in your part of the world. Hello and welcome to It's More Than Money. It's More Than Money as a focus to bring you inspiring stories from real people who strive to improve every day. People who aren't willing to settle for the status quo, they've shaken off any limiting beliefs they might have had and they've just gone after what they really want in life. We'll have all kinds of guests, we'll have business owners, entrepreneurs, masters of the mind, industry game changers and money experts who will all, through their own stories, provide invaluable insights into creating a life you never thought possible. Welcome everybody to this episode of It's More Than Money. Our guest today, Amanda Webster, is a fitness model and certified wellness coach. Amanda has an absolutely amazing story behind her that I'm sure is going to give you hope to any bad day you feel you're ever having. So just a little bit about Amanda. Amanda overcame depression on her own terms after losing her parents, succumbing to addiction, self-harm, and even a moment in life where she found herself on a ledge of a Canadian hotel room ready to take her own life. Now, I can't imagine for a moment what it's like to be in that frame of mind, let alone turn your life around 360 degrees to be where Amanda is right now. So after years of being guinea pigged on antidepressants and what Amanda found to be ineffective support through the usual professional channels, she decided to tread her own path to wellness, spending a year and a half on self-discovery and making really healthy changes in her life. Now, Amanda was then ultimately decertified as having a serious mental illness by the very professionals that told her it was never going to be possible. Now, using what she's learned by experience, Amanda loves helping others who struggle to find balance and who struggle to live their most fulfilling lives. Now, this is an exceptional story about how anyone can really turn their lives around by taking some actions that align with them and their truth and what they want and just backing themselves to make it work. So I'm really excited to talk to Amanda and share her story with you all today. So let's jump into it. Absolutely admire your your story and admire your courage for sharing your story. So thank you because um, myself and many, many other people out there suffer from mental health issues or have family members or colleagues or um, people in their villages that, that have mental health issues. And, you know, sometimes we just don't know how to support them um, and, and know what to say. But my thing is like, how did you go from standing on a ledge ready to end your life to living the life of your dreams now like how did that all start well it was really poetic actually because even though i'm not a believer a lot of people would say what happened was a miracle because the only thing that brought me down in that moment was the right song playing at the right time at the right place and it was very out of place actually because i was in quebec canada which is a french-speaking province and the song that played was an american song that wasn't even like a popular song at the time or anything, but it was from the band that had always helped me uh, during the dark times of my life, Linkin Park. Oh, and part, part of what had spiraled me so badly into this specific, I guess you'd call it kind of episode, even though it lasted quite a, a while, uh, more than a year, was when the lead singer of that band took his life. Because from the time I was a teenager until now, that band was kind of my security blanket when I was really depressed, when I was really struggling with with uh, addiction, dark thoughts, etc. That band was my security blanket. So when the lead singer takes his life, suddenly mm. everything they've ever said feels like a lie. Suddenly 
you know, I feel, okay, well, he lost his battle, so what's going to keep me going now? Yeah. One of their songs played while I was standing on the ledge ready to jump, and it was kind of this weird sign from the universe of you're not meant to, like, it's uh. not meant to end this way. So that's what brought me down. Now, coming down, I lost my mind. I fell apart on the, on the floor of the hotel room because now I'm like, okay, well, I hear this sign from the universe that I'm not meant to take my life at this time. But now what do I do? Like, that doesn't change the fact that I still yeah. feel this depression and mm -hmm. this desolation. Knowing the next step was the hardest. Getting down, I mean, that was obviously very scary and very just an emotional roller coaster. But trying to figure out the next step was really the most challenging yeah. thing for me. Did you frighten yourself? When you got down, did you realize, what the hell am I doing? Oh, yeah. I had yeah. a complete and utter just panic attack. And I just yeah. started sobbing. And I was like, oh, my God, how did my life get yeah. to this point? Like, how did things get so bad? And I feel like that was actually my real breaking point of realizing how in the hell did things get this bad? I mean, I'd always dealt with anxiety and depression. And I'd gone through addictions and whatnot. And at that time, I was probably about six months clean from cocaine and self-harm. But... I, I'd gone through all these different things and I don't think I ever really realized the gravity of them and what they symbolized, you know, yeah. what, what, what it really meant for me to be in these places. But when you come down and you realize if I would have went the other way, I wouldn't be here right now. Nice. Like, I, I, I came inside. If I would have went outside, I wouldn't be here right now. And really realizing that, yeah, just completely was a, a very overwhelming experience. Yeah. Couldn't even imagine. Jeez. So how did you turn your your dark past now into successful empire that you have? Like, how, what? where was the change? Like, was that just the moment when you went, right, you know what, I'm now not going to to live in this headspace and I'm going to flip it on its head and I'm actually going to, to, to teach people the message that I've gone through and my journey and, and, and empower people? Is that how, it's, how it all started? Essentially, that's kind of a two-part question because there was the first part of it that involved me getting through the rest of that darkness because it's not yeah. like, like I said, it's not like I just stepped down and okay, now everything's perfect and I'm great. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm fine. It took, you know, getting through that darkness on my own and figuring out what I needed to do, what changes I needed to implement to be a happier person myself because I noticed something in my time at mental health professionals. Now, I've been going to a therapist since, geez, I think my first therapist was like sixth grade. So I've been going to a therapist on and off most of my life. And I noticed that the overall treatment goal was never to be healthy or to be happy. That was never the overall treatment goal, was um. happiness. And I feel like I, I just start reflecting that in, in the re weeks following that they never really wanted me to be happy. They wanted me to be alive. They wanted me maybe to not kill myself, but they never looked at me and said, you have potential. You have the potential mm. to be happy. You have the potential to be better than this. As a matter of fact, they told me the exact opposite. They told me you will never be decertified as having a serious mental illness. That's not possible. You have this disorder and you're going to have it for the rest of your life. You're going to have these symptoms for the rest of your life. You're going to struggle with suicide and depression for the rest of your life. And at the end of the day, who wants to hear that? Like, who mm. wants to be told you're going to hurt like this for the rest of your life. Nobody. So were you, was it basically that you were, I guess, pigeonholed or labelled, and then with that label, it was became a matter of let's just help you cope with this label. Yes. And you've been diagnosed now. What are the strategies you've got to adopt every single day to then simply manage or cope? Because you said you were never taught or never 
discussed or educated on how you can actually turn this around to be happy and love yourself and love yourself it was more so let's just cope with what you've got right and i think there is a certain level of incorporating day-to-day things that are going to make a difference in your mental health so i'm not saying it's not an ongoing process to be happy or to be healthy mentally and physically obviously that is an ongoing process and it's based on it's based greatly on the decisions we make every day but like you said, yeah, I was pigeonholed and I was given this label of having a serious mental illness that as I started healing through this process, I didn't feel like it fit me anymore. And once I started getting to that point, that's where I started getting the idea to start coaching other people out of their darkness, uh, to start helping other people. So, so, did, so, Sorry, man, how did you create or start to create that awareness to go, hang on, I'm actually not this label. I'm not what these coaches psychologists psychiatrists are what they say i am how did what sort of got you moving in that and created that awareness do you remember well once i am so self-aware and i've been told by every mental health professional i'm super self-aware and sometimes they have problems treating me because of that because they'll say we're already doing the things that we would tell you to do you know you have already tried taking medication or going to talk therapy and when i started realizing that I didn't have any of the textbook symptoms of a serious mental illness anymore. Mm. It really, I I was at the time learning a lot about the law of attraction and it kind of made me feel like if I have this label, if I'm labeled as having a serious mental illness, yet I have none of the credentials to have a serious mental illness, what kind of energy is that bringing into my life? Like what, what am I kind of affirming Mm. if I'm keeping this label that doesn't serve me anymore? That would be, see, I actually don't like to say I'm a recovering addict. I like to say I'm a former addict because I know at nice. this point where I've come and where I am, <clears throat> and especially with everything going on, I am never going to use cocaine ever again. I don't need to consider myself in recovery because I firmly believe that I am recovered. Now, there are people that are in different places. There are people that, you know, are are at different points in their journey. There are people that believe differently and that's completely fine. But for me, I prefer to say I am a former addict because that's not something that afflicts Mm. me anymore. Do I have the cravings sometimes? Yes. Do I struggle sometimes with the thoughts of wanting it? Sure. But it doesn't in any way, you know, affect my life any more than having a passing bout of anxiety or yeah, yeah sometimes i get sad does that mean because i get sad sometimes or because mm. i have anxiety sometimes that i am depressed no that means i struggle every now and then with yeah. symptoms of anxiety and depression just like anyone else does you know yeah. we're humans we have mm. but once i realized that that criteria didn't serve me anymore i really wanted to you know get that label off of my personality. So when I approached my mental health professional and I said, look, I want to be reevaluated for having an SMI, for having a serious mental illness, I was told that's not possible. That no, there, nobody, no. nobody's ever decertified as having an SMI. Once you have it, you have it for no. life. And I said, either you're going to reevaluate me or one of your higher ups is going to reevaluate me, but I, I demand to be reevaluated to see if I still meet the criteria. And the look on that woman's face mm. several months later when she had to tell me, you no longer meet the criteria, oh. was probably one of the top five like <laughs> awesome things in my life. And I I don't know if they're in Australia, you guys use the middle finger, but man, I wanted to <laughs> 
say a whole slew of, of curse words at that woman. Just like, how dare you tell me yeah. who I am? How dare you tell me what I'm capable of yeah. or what I'm capable of overcoming? There are people that heal themselves of cancer and you're telling me I can't heal my own mind? Yeah. Mm. So was, the self-awareness was, a, you know, you tuning into your true self and starting to listen to yourself rather than another person's opinion. You know, I went to school um, as a mind-body wellness practitioner several years prior to that, uh, majoring in holistic nutrition. And I knew that the body has the capability of healing itself. Our mm. bodies have the capability of healing themselves. And guess what? Our brain is part of our body. So when given um, the proper tools, we can heal ourselves mentally. Yeah. Now, let me say a few years ago, if somebody would have told me that, I would have called them everything under <laughs> the sun. Because when you're in that mind state, you don't want people to tell you well, yeah. you need to make changes. You want an easy fix, you know? And I feel like often that's what medication is to people is it's an easy fix. And I'm not saying there aren't people that need to be on prescription medication for mental health disorders. There absolutely are. That is something that many people are successful with. But for me, number one, I had taken a lot of medication over the years. And at best, it made me I wouldn't even say comfortably numb. It made me to where I couldn't outwardly express the emotions I was feeling on the inside. So even if I felt sad, I couldn't cry. At worst, it gave me panic attacks where I was gasping for air on the ground and felt like I was dying and my chest was hurting mm. and I thought I was having a heart attack. But when I told the mental health professionals, this medication isn't working for me, here's what it's doing, they'd say, well, you just need to give it a few weeks for it to kick in. And I'm sitting yeah. there going... Did you not hear what I just said to you that I'm laying on the ground, sometimes hallucinating, <laughs> feeling like I'm dying? Guess what I'm not going to do? Give it a few more weeks. No, I'm not going <laughs> to give it a few more weeks. Are you freaking insane? Like, it's just, I, I always felt so very unheard. Like, I yeah. felt very mm. unlistened to in the realm of mental health uh, care, of, of traditional mental health care like that. And it was really hard for me to try to find practitioners that really cared about helping me get better like helping me really genuinely heal myself that's a very very rare thing I did find one that was very good and if I do have you know times where I need to talk to someone I'll, I will I will definitely reach out to her because she understands that we can yeah. heal ourselves mm -hmm. she she's not out to get me coming back because when you think about it the mental health profession a lot like you know, physical health profession, they want you to come back. If you heal yourself, they're losing money. If you heal yourself and you're not taking that medication anymore, they're not getting their kickbacks anymore. Mm. If you heal yourself and you're yeah, not, okay. you know, scheduling appointments, that, that does them a disservice. So to keep you coming back is mm. kind of the MO of a lot of practitioners, yeah. I feel. Yeah, so it's, it's really important like, to find the right ones. Yeah. yeah, and the genuine ones too that actually have that that they actually just sit in your space and have empathy for your journey and want to be on it. I think that's a big, big, big thing. So um, I know even for myself and my family over the, over the years, there's been some grief and some loss and I, you know, I lost my brother a couple of weeks, seven weeks ago and two years I've been in grief cancelling, but I found the right person. So she never ever um, said to me, Kelly, you need to be on medication. She just held my space and listened to me and gave me tools and strategies to be able to cope through it, you know, breathing strategies and all that sort of stuff. So I do think there's there's definitely people out there that don't push that medication pathway. And I just think that you need to find that sort of person. Would you agree with that? I do think that there's a time, like I said, for um, 
conventional Western medicine and that kind of mental health care. I do think that if you're going to go that route, yes, it is very important to find someone that you connect with and that yeah. does understand in your sense grief. I lost my mom back in 2007 after losing my dad in 2005. And when um, I lost my mom, I was completely alone. Of course I'm grieving. Yeah. And what am I told here? You need some antidepressants. No, I need to grieve my freaking mom is what I need. Yeah. Like a human being, I deserve to be able to grieve my mother. Yes. Should I do so in a healthy way? Yes. Did I do so in a healthy way? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> we digress. Right. Point being is if I would have had someone that could guide me through that, like you said, and hold your hand, hold my hand and say, these are the healthy methods of grieving yes. let's allow you to move through your grief let's allow you to feel those feelings you deserve to be able to feel sad that your mom is gone and you deserve to be able to go through that and even if that means taking a few weeks off of work and yes i said weeks i know that sounds insane to a lot of people but when my dad died my mom was given three days bereavement for a man that she was married to for over 21 years like that just boggles my mind three days before she was expected to go back and act as if nothing was wrong and put on a mm. smile and and you know provide amazing customer service mm. that would never have been possible for me fortunately i didn't have that kind of job um, mm. and I, I still don't have an eight to four job for that very reason but isn't it amazing that isn't it amazing in that this space that you know we can be so so sad but we just we don't lean into that vulnerable to allow people to see our sadness and we do like we put that face on that brave face and meanwhile in, internally we're just going crazy aren't we trying to work out where does this all sit you know it's is this what um for our listeners is this some of the programs that you're teaching or the mindsets that you teach people is that what what it's all about or yeah well my my program does not deal with grief specifically but in my one-on-one -on -one coaching i i do have a lot of people that are dealing with grief especially right now because like you had said before we're in this place where we should be able to see our family and our friends and mm. those that are losing loved ones during this time and aren't able to have that connection, mm. knowing how to go through that grieving process on your own or connecting electronically, you know, knowing how, now a different way of going through mm. that grieving process. Yes, I do work a lot with clients who are going through grief, uh, using my own experiences and a lot of, of techniques that help them feel their feelings in a healthy way. The program itself, kind of goes through step by step of where I was when I was completely rock bottom yep. and how I got from there to here where now I'm happy and I live a very fulfilled life. And on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm extremely happy. And I always thought that happiness was kind of elusive. Like it was that thing that only people who are wealthy had or only Buddhist monks had or only, you know, the enlightened yeah. people had or the successful people had. Mm. But I realized that through this whole journey that it's possible to be happy right now, even though there's a global pandemic outside. It's possible to be happy even in a time of grief, because even if we're grieving and we're sad, there's still little things that we can be grateful for during that time. Like for me, I will never forget the kindness of, this is really random, but the groundskeeper, I was living in an apartment at the time. And when my mom died, the groundskeeper came up and watched a movie with me that night and mm. i didn't even really know him but just the kindness of this person mm. really yeah. it, it didn't make me happy overall but at least it gave me a little bit of hope a little bit of yeah. happiness in that moment and i think connecting with that's really important so my program is a step-by-step -step of how to go happier on your own personal happiness spectrum so some of my people 
were like I was and were at rock bottom, some people are just at a point where they're complacent. They're not really unhappy, but they don't really have much joy and fulfillment in their lives. Yeah. And it's helping them move, ha- move higher to be genuinely, truly happy, not just complacent, not just getting by, not just yeah. scraping day to day, but being genuinely, truly happy and fulfilled with themselves and their lives and being I, healthy mentally yeah. and physically. So the whole point of my program is bridging the gap between mental and physical health. Mm, Cause that's yeah. something that we, like I said, the brain is part of the body and we ignore that. We completely just forget that the two are very interconnected. Yeah. How did I'm really interested to know, to know how um, learning French played a big part in your journey? Oh, maybe. So <laughs> <laughs> it was something in the beginning that, let me, let me start. When I was back in high school, I got caught cheating on a French test. And <laughs> <laughs> it was something that I always had that inkling to do. I thought it was a beautiful language and I really wanted to learn it, but I had no drive to put any energy into it. And one day I just, it was actually shortly after I had gone to Mexico, surprisingly enough, and I'd met with this little orphan girl. I was at an orphanage doing some, some humanitarian work and I was at an orphanage and this little uh, Hispanic girl started crying because I couldn't communicate with her. And it just broke her heart. And I knew that I didn't really want to go to Mexico, particularly for a lot of humanitarian work, but I had a lot of passion to go to Africa. And um, I'd, I'd always really wanted to go specifically to Haiti. And they, most of them, they are Francophone countries. And I realized after this experience that I was never going to go to another country again where I didn't speak at least some of their language to be able to communicate with them. I started kind of picking it up a little bit with free applications and stuff like Duolingo to help me pick up some words, pick up some some phrases and stuff. And then I found myself, number one, just falling madly in love with it because I realized I'd always wanted to do it and I just Mm. didn't commit to it. But number two, I realized that when I was practicing the language, when I was speaking and when I was trying to read it, I had less anxiety because I was forcing my brain to, to process in a completely different language. I was forcing my brain to be mindful which is a huge, mm. huge tool in, in dealing with anxiety and depression. But I was also forcing it to kind of change its, its track and sink before, you know, just, just reacting to something. Yeah. So it, was, it, it ended up being an incredibly helpful tool for dealing with anxiety. So if I started to have an anxiety attack, sometimes I would go open up my, my Duolingo app and do a lesson <laughs> or two. That darling, I swear that Duolingo bird, they need to make a horror movie about that Duolingo bird. Um. <laughs> so I, I remember watching um, Unfriended Dark Web, and I don't even know why I watched that movie. It was a terrible idea, but where my friends convinced me to watch this movie. And I'm just sitting there the whole time going, they should make a movie like this about the Duolingo bird coming after you for not practicing your French <laughs> that day. But I have like a 900 That's an interesting sort of nightmare. <laughs> Right? I have, let's see, a 900 and some odd day streak on Duolingo. My app's not opening. But every day that you practice, it, it continues a streak for you. 978 days consecutively that I have practiced French on Duolingo. Oh. Sorry, I was just going to say, with the, you mentioned mindfulness. Now, when my, the word mindfulness is used in general here, and it could be quite quite the same across the world but in general when it's used here it's more along the lines of i'll just be mindful of 
your behavior or just be mindful how you speak, things like that. But on a deeper level, what does it actually mean? I'm gathering you do teach this through your programs. What does it actually mean and what's the effect it can create for anyone that is truly practicing mindfulness? Yeah, I do. It's something that I definitely incorporate no matter where my client is because it's something that we all need more of. Mindfulness is really just being present in the moment. So no matter what you're doing, being present, doing it. I kind of like to think of this. I'll give you a little insight into the program and into what I teach. I like to think of this as mini meditation. So for me, I have my dishes meditation. I have my dog walking meditation. I have, (laughs) you know, all the driving meditation. And all it really is is saying right now, I am cleaning this dish and I can smell the lavender of the dish okay. so right now I am walking my dog and I can see these beautiful flowers and I can feel you know the the sun on my on my skin or I, my dog is pulling me right now and yeah. I want to scream but no matter where you are just checking in with what you're doing yeah. checking into your five senses saying what can I smell right now what can I hear right now yeah. what do I see right now and then if you are having emotions just feeling that emotion putting a label on that emotion saying right now I'm feeling sad and it's okay that I'm feeling sad. And once you say, I feel sad, you label the emotion and you say, it's okay that I feel sad. You'll kind of notice that the sadness will start to dissipate a little, Mm. not right away, but it will start to go away because you've shined a light on it. Yeah. It's a lot easier to cope with an emotion once you've labeled it. Cause if you're saying I'm angry, now you kind of have an idea of, okay, how can I deal with this anger? And for me, that can look like anything from running. That's a huge thing yeah. for me as I start running, just finding ways to deal with those specific emotions. Maybe it's listening to one of your rage songs. I know I have a whole playlist of rage music or when I'm just angry or every now and then I, I like to watch cheesy slasher movies and not the scary ones. I don't like scary movies at all. because <laughs> I, I have really horrid anxiety, but yeah. something like my favorite go-to is the purge series because it's not really lawyer oh. graphic or anything. It's just kind of slashery and there's not a lot of blood or anything. And yeah. <laughs> right. I, I really like that movie series when I'm getting really angry because I mean, it just, it, it gives me a way to channel that anger. You know, I'm not yeah, actually okay. going out and killing people, <laughs> obviously, yeah. and I don't plan to go out and kill people, but it just gives me a way to kind of channel that anger and move through it. Yeah, okay. I, I've just, um, I'm just listening to you going, I just think you're the most amazing lady. And I just, mm-hmm. I just, I, for me, it's like, you know, I keep going back to you standing on this ledge and then you've now just changed your whole life around. It just, it's just amazing. It's just, and some people still are on that ledge, aren't they? And that's yeah. for people like you sharing your story. Um, it just inspires people to to uh, to step into vulnerability, to ask for help, but to make sure that they are asking for help with the right people. Would you agree? Yes. And right now, the hotlines and stuff are seeing an increase in mental health calls as we all deal, you know, with this pandemic worldwide. Mm. But on a normal level, someone takes their life here in the U.S. once every 12 minutes or 12 seconds. So it's just, it's incredible. So That's a a uh, true pandemic, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's just insane to me that we continue to have this, um, this lack of, of conversation regarding it. Like we don't want to talk about it. It's very taboo. A lot of people, if you, if you tell somebody, you know, I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling suicidal, they panic because they have no idea how to handle it. Um, Yeah. And there's a stigma around it, which is, Oh geez, you don't have your shit together. Yeah. Look at you, you're losing your mind type thing. And you, you sort of looked upon or frowned upon 
to go, you're not really and, normal. And the, the thing that really bothers me about that is there are CEOs that take their lives. I mean, yeah. taking taking Chester, the lead singer of Lincoln Park, for example, yeah. look at him. He had six children and money, success, everything yeah. most people would have wanted, would have thought, you know, this no. is what makes people happy, but it's not. It's not what makes people no, happy. No, no. He had if a lot not, of... That's the name of our podcast. It's more than money. <laughs> <laughs> It's um. Yeah. What? How would you? How would you um give our listeners some tips on on, on starting conversations if they do feel that um people in their workplace or family or friends are uh, they're showing signs of having a bit of a meltdown, especially in this COVID nineteen space that we're in. Like, and um, what are some of the suggestions that you would um, give to our listeners? That's a great question. The, it's hard because one of the things that we usually look for is when people start reclusing, like when people stop taking interest in the things that they usually take interest in. So during this time, it's going to be a little bit different in what to look for, but really watching people withdraw from you, because even right now, people, we can call each other, we can Skype each mm. other, we can Zoom each other, we can do whatever, we can still keep in contact. And if you notice that people, that someone that you know, kind of has a history of anxiety or depression or someone that you know has something going on in their lives, like maybe they just lost someone or you know that they are kind of struggling, watching for that, watching for them withdrawing from you, watching for them from them suddenly they don't want to talk, they don't want to Zoom call, they don't want to, mm. you know, chat on Facebook or perhaps they might be posting things that are concerning on their social media about just struggling and whatnot. And that's a cry for help. That's not a cry for attention. That's a cry for help. And even if it is a cry for attention, they're still wanting attention because they need help. <laughs> it's yeah. not like, Oh, look at me. I, I'm suicidal. Look at me. I cut myself. Are there people that are like that? Probably. But for the most part, people start expressing this because they don't know what else to say and they don't know what else to do. So if you do notice that someone that you love is withdrawing um, socially, because right now we're not socially distancing, we're physically distancing. Yeah, that's we right. Still be social. So if you do notice that somebody is withdrawing socially, if you do notice that somebody is expressing in some way, shape or form, if even subtly that they are struggling with depression or anxiety, the best thing you can really do is acknowledge it by saying, you know, it really just seems like you're struggling. Is there something that you want to talk about? Is there something you need to talk about? I just want you to know that I'm here. You know, if, if, if something's bothering you, of course, we're all in this, in this global pandemic, acknowledging that this is a, a very intense situation for everyone, not just those that are struggling with, with uh, mental health, really gives them that opportunity mm. to open up. It gives them the chance to say, okay, I'm not crazy. You know, a lot yeah. of people are struggling right now or in the case of ha having lost someone saying, you know, I, I know you just lost your, your brother or your mom or whatever. If you need to talk, just know that I'm here. The thing you don't want to do is say something to the effect of, you know, you really just need to go outside and get some sunshine. You know, you really just need to look on the yeah. bright side of things for the love of God, don't do that. Is it true? Yes. <laughs> yes. Look on the bright side of things and, and help them look on the bright side of things. Maybe, you know, bring some things to their attention, but for the love of all that is holy, please don't say you just need to look on the bright side of things or yeah. why don't you just cheer up or you just never tell a person what they need because they know what they need. They, and yeah. what they are needing from you is an ear and a hug. Like, yeah. or if they're not a touchy person, just an ear, but they don't need you to tell them what they need. They don't need you to tell them what to do because that will force them to shut off more. Yeah. And that but comes, really, it comes back to that empathic missus sometimes that we do, don't we? 
Yes. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. Even if we're not, even if we're not, you know, perfect in the way that, that we reach out, just making an effort to be empathetic to people, yeah. making an effort to understand that mental health is not an easy thing to overcome. I know that it might seem like through my story that I, I'm trying to make this sound like it's an easy thing. It absolutely is not. It took a mm. lot for me um, mentally and physically. It takes a lot every day for me to continue making the choices that have led me to this place. But I don't want people to think it's easy. It, it very much is difficult. And if there was anything I could tell people that didn't struggle with mental health issues, it would be just please understand that sometimes I'm doing the best I can. If all I can do in a day is put pants on and <laughs> make my kids some food, I put pants on and made sure my kid wasn't starving. So that is a win. Like just understanding that everybody's a hundred percent is going to look different at any given point. My hundred percent yesterday was definitely not the same as my hundred percent today because yesterday I was tired and I was kind of grumpy. And today I was like, okay, I'm full of energy and everything's great and I can get a lot done. But hundred percent is going to look different every day. And for somebody oh, that's, that. that's, yeah. that's struggling with mental health issues, the way I describe this is imagine that the voices in your head turned on you. Like imagine that that voice that you have that kind of guides you through the day. I'm not saying the voices in your head, like schizophrenia, but the voice in your head that guides you, you're kind of Jiminy Cricket. Imagine that, that your Jiminy Cricket turned on you. And suddenly that voice that's in your head that is supposed to be telling you, hey, maybe I should go make myself something healthy to eat, or maybe I should just go for a walk. Now it's telling you, your son would be better off without you. The world would be better off without you. You are a terrible person. When that voice mm. turns on you, that's what depression and mental health mm. distress looks like. And it is a very hard thing to overcome that voice because it seems so real. It seems like everything it says is the truth. Mm. When it's just a thought. It's just a voice. Yeah. It's not are and i could just imagine there's be, there'll be a lot of listeners out there listening to this podcast and i think those stories in their heads because their landscape has changed too now like a lot of people are working from home and they're not working in in the big offices they're not connecting with people and you know sometimes when you are around a lot of people they they stimulate you and they stimulate your, your mind to to be positive and all that sort of stuff and then when you go back home and you're working maybe that's when you, their thoughts creep in because, you know, maybe that space where they usually are in works works actually a bit of a relief for them. And a distraction. And a distraction. So a lot of people may be feeling that, that same thing. Would you, would you agree that keeping busy sometimes helps that thought? Yes. That Jimmy, what do you call it, Jimmy Cricket? Jimmy, Jimmy Cricket, Cricket. <laughs> yeah, for, for Pinocchio. Yeah, we've all got the voice and the voice plays pretty bad tune sometimes it actually can be quite berating mm. but you know, I actually like said if you're in the workplace you can be pulled out your tension's pulled out of your own mind because yeah. everything else happening around you when you're at home I alone actually, that's when it starts getting louder and louder that voice and it's hard because you don't know a lot of people don't know how to manage that voice or yeah. how to talk to that voice and while I, I go into a lot of detail about that that's one of the modules of my program is kind of learning how to talk yeah. to that voice learning how to deal with that voice learning how to give it a voice because give it a name thing, do you yes. give it a name like yes I do mine yeah <laughs> my, my, mine is my shadow that's yep. what I've named her. She's my shadow. But yes, actually giving it a name and talking to it as if it were a different person really helps differentiate uh, the thoughts from yourself. Like you are not your thoughts. No. And when your brain says something like, oh my God, you're so stupid. Instead of accepting that thought saying, you know what, shadow, 
I understand that you're trying to protect me. I understand that you're trying to better me in some way, shape or form, but I got this on my own. I could do this. Thank yeah. you. And just really thanking it for its thought. Cause even if it's saying you're being really stupid, the underlying message there is, I think you can do better. Yeah. You need and to there's do also, better. There's also possibly a fear. So that voice yes. is trying to stop you from even trying in the first place, just yes. in case you fail or whatever it is you're attempting to do. Yes. There's, there's, uh, very often a, a fear of failure that yeah. that can strangle people. I feel like fear just squashes out every creative outlet we have in our life. Like when I'm afraid, I definitely don't, I don't participate in the things that I know are going to make me healthy. And going back to the whole thing about quarantine, I've, I've read that, you know, alcohol sales are up right now. The mental health helplines are getting an increase of calls right now because mm. people don't know how to deal with their shadows, or if you're a Dexter fan, your dark passenger, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I was a huge Dexter but fan. Yeah, you're right, because I think it ties back to what we were talking about earlier, that we don't have the distraction of the outside world anymore. We're actually mm. at home with our own thoughts. And all and we I have think, around us is the home or the backyard yes. or our wife or siblings or whatever it may be. There's a couple of things that I would highly suggest right now during that time, during this time of quarantine and confinement. One of which is really reconnecting with those hobbies that I know you've let go of. I know you did because I did too. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Reconnecting with those hobbies that you once enjoyed, because not only is that going to act as keeping your mind busy, that might mean if you, if you feel the need to be productive, that might mean developing a program that might mean developing an online course that might mean writing a book that might mean just writing silly short stories for the hell of it that might mean learning a language there are plenty of things that you can be doing right now that can be productive if you on the other hand you're really just needing a you know what this is it's a forced vacation and during this time we can be enjoying this vacation if you feel like binging the first season of lucifer and you can do that right now binge this first season of lucifer if that's what it is it's going to make you feel better (laughs) really just allowing yourself this time to not feel like you have to be doing we are not human doings we are human beings (laughs) and i think it was wayne dyer but that wayne dyer book and and he was always kind of my go-to um yeah for for cliche like self-help advice so a lot of the times i'd be like oh that's a little too woo-woo for me but with that it was really true we're not human doings we are meant to be sometimes we're meant to sit with ourselves and maybe just look out the window or maybe just read a book or maybe just write a freaking story write a poem do something it's okay to not be at work stressed to the absolute max because when you think about it the flip side of this is when we were at all at work and we're working 40 to 60 to sometimes even 80 hours a week, depending on your profession, that's not any more healthy. That's no. in and of itself stressful and can cause a lot of mental health issues. So finding that balance, reconnecting with yourself, finding, you know, ways to, if you need to keep your mind occupied, keep your mind occupied, but do so in a positive way. Yeah. What are your interests? But going back to my, my shadow, I think it's really important to, give it a voice. Yeah. I actually just finished writing a memoir and I'm currently querying agents um, to, to publish it because for the longest time I kept trying to keep the shadow inside. I kept trying to quiet my demons, I guess you would say. And I met the other lead singer of Lincoln Park about, about a year after Chester you took his life. Park, don't you? I do. I, I love Chester. 
He loves that band. And who was actually, who was that guy that you were trying to be on the drummer for our podcast? Uh, oh, what's his name? Jeremy Spencer from Five Figure Death Punch. Oh, yeah. oh nice. Trying to get hold of Jeremy Because <laughs> he's a police officer, I believe, by the, by the look. I think so, yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. know a whole, whole lot, but I've heard that. But, yeah, I remember I met Mike, the other lead singer of Linkin Park. Yeah, the, the, the band has really just helped me a lot. And the book yeah. is actually a lot about how their music helped me during different times in my life. I was sexually assaulted when I was 16. Uh, I went through addiction. I went through the loss of both my parents, unexpected pregnancy, untreated postpartum depression, all of these things. That band was really my only consistency, my only healthy consistency through these things. But huge, huge moments, huge moments in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think that was really my go-to. So it makes sense to me why you know, I, I kind of lost my mind when, when Chester took his life because I, I didn't know what else to turn to. I was like, okay, mm. this was the only healthy coping mechanism I had, and now yeah. I don't have that. But I remember meeting uh, Mike Shinoda, the other lead singer, and that was actually the last day that I had used uh, drugs or self-harmed because when I met him, I just knew I can't do this. That was actually my breaking point moment where I was like, I can't do these things anymore. Yeah. And that was enough to help me get clean. Obviously that wasn't enough to really change my mindset because now it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to do these things anymore, but now what the hell do I do? And my mm. mind you know, kind of fell yeah. apart. And six months later, I ended up on a, on a ledge in a Canadian hotel room, but one mm. of his songs called crossing a line says, I got demons inside me. So I'm faced with a choice, either try to ignore them or I give them a voice. Yeah. And for me, that was probably the most powerful thing I have ever heard in a song because yeah. It gave me permission to give my shadow her opportunity to speak. And that's not to say her opportunity to freak out and go on a rampage and purge people, but her opportunity to express her fears, to express why she's doing this, why she says the things she says, why, like, where is this coming from? And really processing through a lot of the trauma and the pain and things that I felt once I... Actually, as a matter of fact, when I left the concert, I, I, I left the concert, I went back to my hotel room, I was listening to the CD on the way back to the hotel room, and then I started listening to it on the way to the airport the next morning, and that's when I had this, I'd always wanted to write a book, but I didn't know what to write, and in this moment, I was like, I need to write my story, I need to share this with people, I need people to know that they're not alone, and I need to, you know, start helping other people, because that's what I feel like I was I was meant to do. And when I got to the airport, I asked for paper and started writing my book on paper at the airport right then and there. Oh. <laughs> I a story on scrap paper at the airport. And it was just, it was such like an incredibly powerful experience. And I hope one day, you know, mm. I can say thank you and, and tell him what he's, you know, done for me and how much yeah me i mean i did get about 20 seconds to try and squeeze in and think of everything you've done for me and then like, <laughs> push through the line yeah, yeah. but i really just like the opportunity you know to say thank you for for mm. roundabout saving me actually for saving my life in, in a multitude of ways i think it's important too that and you you probably do but from my point of view is uh, giving yourself a big big thank you for saving yourself I mean, because you ultimately, you are in control of little Jiminy Cricket and you decide what sort of role it has or does not have in your life. And you've decided, okay, well, it's not going to control me. I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm going to respond with compassion, see what it's trying to do, understand it. But I want to take a different direction sometimes. So that's a huge step. I think that would probably be the like one of the first steps that anyone well, anyone in general, really, Mm. but especially those struggling with mental health issues should take is 
you are not your depression. No. And I don't care what any professional says. You can heal yourself. Will you always struggle a little bit sometimes? I know that I'm always going to be more emotional than most people, but I love that about myself now. I don't look at myself and say, oh, I'm, I'm more emotional than most people. I look at myself and say, you know what? I have the capacity of feeling this beautiful gamut of emotions and feeling life, and that's okay. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it feels really good, and it's okay to feel those things. But yeah, really... That is a, a huge, important, I would almost say first step of, of ha to happiness, really, to fulfillment, to healing. Um, so I, I'm just like, I'm lost for words. And if anyone ever knows me, I'm never lost for words. Am I no, right? never lost for words. I'm just like, but because your story resonates with so many people that we speak to, whether it's clients, whether it's work colleagues, whether it's business owners, whether it's friends, family, like everyone has a story and, and, and a story, but we don't share it because we're, we don't want to lean into the vulnerability of sharing that story of judgment and was that a fear of yours when you started to start sharing your story? Was, did judgment come into it? You know, I feel like judgment had played a big part prior to that because I was, I had a great home life growing up. That wasn't the problem, but I was very ostracized by my peers. I never had the right clothes, the right hair, or big enough boobs or whatever the case was. I was never good enough to my peers. So I definitely had this, this fear of judgment before going into it, I definitely had this fear of, oh God, people might you know, think I'm crazy. They might think that I'm a nut job. They might think that I'm a liar. They, like, whatever the case is. They, mm -hmm. I, I was literally told by a mental health professional when I tried to express that I was grieving over Chester that I didn't deserve to grieve over Chester because I didn't know him personally. And I, oh. I, I wrote a very colorful email to that woman. And I got her to like acknowledge and apologize, which meant a lot to me because she understood. But there is a lot there to be said just for, for going through that process. So, and and I, I, I was afraid until I wasn't. I know that sounds kind of weird, but I was afraid until I just wasn't afraid anymore. Like, I think part of it was meeting Mike and realizing the whole irony about it was, is, you know, these people that have helped me, Chester, who had obviously helped me through a lot and helped millions of other fans through a mm. lot of their depression and darkness. I looked up to him so much for his rawness and vulnerability. I admired this man because he was able to go up there and scream, you know, his feelings and his hurt and his pain and share that with people to help them. And really, I just wanted to be someone's trusted. I've always, I've always thought that, isn't it? Like you've heard me say that. I've always thought like music's good for the soul. So I, we had this Google play at home now. So when I wake up, I can wake up and go, oh, I want to listen to Cindy Lauper. Like, what the hell? Cindy <laughs> Lauper. Or I want to listen to Kenny Rogers. Like, whenever I wake up, whatever song or music. My mom had a date with him once. Where? Kenny Rogers. Yes, with Kenny did Rogers. You? <laughs> my, no, my mom did. My oh, mom your mom? I thought you said you did. <laughs> <sighs> my mom had a date with him. <laughs> wow. And I just, you know, like hearing your story and it's people connect to different things. And I think that we don't. What's that? That alignment, isn't it? We just think of music, and sometimes we don't even sit in that space to listen to the words, do we? We just like the the sound of the music, the tone, the drums, the instruments. But sometimes we actually do 
um, forget the words. And, and it's a powerful message that these musicians are trying to, to give to mass people, aren't they? And it's exactly what happened with you. Yeah, and I, I remember listening to the album, uh, One More Light, which is the last album that Linkin Park produced. I remember listening to it after Chester passed away. And the one song, Heavy, I'm just sitting there going, if somebody would have said these exact things that they're saying in the song to me, I would have set them down and said, we need to talk. Like, we need to have a conversation. Something's going on. Like, obviously, you are not doing okay in your mind. We need to get through this. And I want to help you. How can I help you? Um, And that's actually kind of, it was my go-to song when I was going through the darkness. It was kind of my theme song of darkness because I'm sitting there going, you know, why is everything so heavy? And I didn't like my mind and I didn't like where my mind was, but I didn't know how to change it. And that was a difficult process to learn how to change your mind because that's not mm. something, again, that we're taught how to change and we're your also, mind. And we're also, I guess, conditioned to think that it's we're just a, a product of our thinking, like our mind has control over us. We yes. don't, we're not actually able to change it. We're we're conditioned to believe that our thoughts are a part of us and not just, you know, a thought. That's all it is. It's just something crossing our mind at the time. It's not anything tangible. It's nothing. It's not an absolute truth. It's just a thought. And I feel like that was one of the most liberating things I ever Mm. learned was learning. It's just a thought. If right now I start having anxiety or I start having these irrational fears saying, okay, well, you know, somebody could come in behind me and murder me right now, I guess, but that's just. (laughs) Jesus, don't say that. You've just been on our podcast. Oh, (laughs) There was a a story like that when that happened on live Skype or something. No, I I hear the dogs barking before anything, so you're good. (laughs) (laughs) You're all fine. Well, Amanda, we, uh, we have a few questions that we just want to close off with, if that's all right. <laughs> and one of them is what's called our fast five. It's just a very quick response to first thing that pops in your head, jibbity cricket or not. And then the other thing we want to address, address if it's okay, just three, three tips or three suggestions you could provide any listener to say, you know what, if you're having a bad day, you're having a bad time, this is what you would recommend they do to start changing that. If that's Okay. Okay. So the three well, things, please. She's got to say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the three things. Um, the one thing that I started doing was kind of rage writing. Now I have a specific journal that I have for keeping my happy thoughts and my quotes and my motivation and stuff. But then I have a separate loose leaf thing of paper where I just rage write all the feelings that I'm having when I'm really anxious, when I'm really upset. Oh. And then, I bur- then I burn them. I don't keep them in a journal. I don't keep them tangibly. I burn them afterwards because yeah. then they are gone. Then I don't have to deal with them anymore. They're out of me and they're gone. So I think finding a way, whether it's journaling or running or whatever it is, finding a way to cope when your emotions get really overwhelmed. Yeah. Now, I part of my um, program we talk about building a toolbox um, physical and non-physical toolbox for ways to cope with different emotions and stuff but really pinpointing your go-to healthy mechanisms and you can test the waters a little bit finding your coping mechanisms for intense feelings be it panic attacks anxiety whatever my second (laughs) this is kind of a shameless plug but yes. I really, <laughs> no, not, not, not for my program, actually, for, for animals. I, one of the best decisions I ever made was going vegan. And I've been vegetarian since 2005, but I went vegan last summer. Okay. And number one, it gave me more energy. Number two, mm-hmm. it like helps me physically 
immensely. Um, it just made me feel better. The last time I went to a doctor and had all my blood panels ran, they said I was freakishly healthy, quote unquote. So I feel like <laughs> I'm doing good there. So, and, and I'm not even saying just veganism specifically. I guess my point in that is really taking a look at what you're doing and what you're putting in your body. Mm. Do I think that specifically, um, cutting out animal products and whatnot is immensely helpful to mental health. Yes. But also how much sugar are you intaking? How much, mm. how many vitamins, how many nutrients are you getting in your day to day diet? That's huge in, in mental health and people ignore that. But I think really checking in and seeing what's your, what's your eating plan? Like what's your nutrition yeah. regime like? Um, and I, I have a free little cheat sheet over on my website that will give you the top 10 nutrients, the top 10 nutrient deficiencies that yeah. affect mental health. So yeah, there okay. actually are nutrient deficiencies that affect mental health. And my third thing is really just staying connected uh, during this time, be it with your friends and your family, be okay. it with people like us, or be it with, with just going on Facebook and finding groups that you of things you enjoy like i am part of, i watch the bold and the beautiful and i, I don't know if that's a thing there but i'm on a group for it Facebook where i can just connect and complain about the storyline or say man i'm so hot or whatever i'm also um, in a couple of other groups i'm in some french groups i'm in a group for the legend of zelda because i'm a nerd i'm in a harry potter group but just connecting with other like-minded yeah. you know, i have a, a triforce tattoo on the back of my hand oh, but um just really connecting with other number one like-minded people other yeah. people that are, might be going through the same struggles as you if you're going through grief find a grief group on facebook or yeah. online or you know in person once this lifts but yeah. we are not meant to go through this alone my no. friends we're not meant to go through life alone and finding ways of connection even during quarantine is super important oh cool cool mm. thank you that's awesome yeah. super super powerful i tips. think you picked one of those tips up Possibly. Mm. <laughs> All right. Amanda, our fast five, just off the cuff, first response to you that comes to mind. Okay. Weirdest thing you're afraid of? Black shower heads. Black shower <laughs> I don't know why, but I've always had this weird like feel or fear of black shower heads. It just freaked me out. We've got a black shower head. <laughs> well, I guess I won't be staying with you anytime. No. <laughs> you have to use the other bathroom. It doesn't have a black shower head. All right. If you had the opportunity... Just, uh, just for the experience of it, who would you swap lives with for a day? Oh, my. Who would I swap lives with for a day? The Dalai Lama. I would really yeah. like to know what it's like to live that kind of enlightened life, like yeah. that kind of life of minimalism, that kind of life of just absolute bliss. I want to yeah. know what kind of struggles he has. I want to know yeah. how he deals and overcomes them. I'm actually reading some of his work right now because I find it fascinating you know, to, that we as humans are able to reach that level of, mm. of enlightenment. Oh, I agree. I'm the same. Mm. I'd join you on that one if we could. <laughs> All right. And uh, $1 million of cash dropped into your bank account today. What would you do with it? First thing you would do with it? After I had the panic attack. <laughs> I feel like having one of those situations where I just completely lose my mind because I'm being overwhelmed. I, I obviously would, would pay off, you know, any debt that I had and stuff and get myself a new car because my, not a new car, but a new to me car. That's the thing is I would never go on a binge where I, where I just bought a bunch of new stuff. I wouldn't go yeah. buy a new house. I would put most of it in a bank and a savings account for my son. I would pay off my best friend's mortgage. Yeah. Um, a lot of it would just be, okay, would I go shopping and get myself some new clothes? Sure. But for the most part, where can I help my friends? Where can this yeah. money serve others? I don't care about money. I don't need a million dollars. 
maybe I could use it to market my program or something so that I could, you know, have yeah. a further reach in people. But I just, I don't have any desire to have mm. more stuff. I, I already, I'm already purging and I already feel suffocated <laughs> by stuff. A lot of purging things, not people to be clear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we brought that movie up, so I thought the movie yeah. needs to be clear. We'll talk about that when we stop recording. <laughs> uh, I don't need stuff. Yeah, that's, that, that's, oh, that's awesome. That's really, really awesome. And last, uh, last two. Philosophy in life or a quote that has really stuck with you, you've never forgotten? My dad's last words to me, and I say this a lot, um, but don't give up hope because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. That was the last real wisdom mm. I remember getting from my dad, and it, it has just helped me so immensely, especially mm. during this time. I didn't really take it in at the time that he was telling it to me, but now... Even when I feel like, oh, God, I, I, I queried more agents and I, I didn't get a yes yet for my book. Well, I'm one closer, one no closer to my yes. Or it's like, oh, I, I, I submitted these modeling photos and I didn't get picked as the model. Instead of saying, oh, well, I'm never going to be what I want to be, saying, well, tomorrow I could get that email. Tomorrow this could happen. You never know. Yeah. Like, you, you, you don't know. Yeah, that's really powerful, that is. And it really, I had released a video six years ago, so this is kind of ironic, it's about six or seven years ago, I released a video for the It Gets Better project, I listened to it the other day, and it was kind of interesting, having gone through the episode that I went through, like this dark night of the soul, as I called it, going through that, and now looking back and being able to say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you let it, and if you put in the effort, it does get better. Sometimes you have to make it better, but it does get better no matter yeah. where we are, no matter what's happened to us. I've been through some shit. I've seen some shit, but it does get better. <laughs> yeah. You're definitely proof of that. Exactly mm. that. And the last one is your greatest mentoral influence. Other than my parents. I mean, yeah. this is really hard because my parents really influenced me. They taught me what unconditional love was. They taught me what it's like to, just live life. My dad was one of those people that did so much in his life before he became terminally ill. And looking back now, what I've learned from my parents was so beautiful. Like the, the sense of adventure that they instilled in me, the fact that I don't just get kind of interested in something, I will jump in it with both feet <laughs> and the passion for life, I guess, yeah. that my parents instilled. And then of course, Chester, you know, just mm. for really, like I said, being so raw and sharing his his demons his shadow yeah. sharing his shadow with the world and allowing us to to know that we weren't alone in it was just really amazing to me and even though in the end he lost his fight with his uh with his demons that doesn't make what he did and what he said any less important and it took me a while to come to the point of being able to say that because right mm -hmm. afterwards I was so pissed and I was so angry. I was like, everything he ever said was a lie. Yeah. But now I realize that's not true. He fought as long as he could. And he didn't have the resources to keep on fighting. I know what he felt like in his last minutes. Yeah. And he just didn't have the resources to keep on fighting. Mm. But that doesn't make everything that he did for us and everything that he gave us any less important. And I mean, I could go on on, on people that influenced me all day long. Like I said, the Dalai Lama, <laughs> Swami Kriyananda, I mean, Diamond Dallas Page. It goes from yeah. rock star to professional wrestler to His Holiness, <laughs> the Dalai Lama. There's a lot of people in, in, that have really... That would be a really, really interesting party to have all those. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that would be super cool. All right. I, I hear the Dalai Lama 
scream some of Chester's Linkin Park lyrics, man. That's oh, my whole life now. <laughs> just hear that His Holiness, you know, <laughs> screaming his lyrics. Cool. <laughs> well, Amanda, you have a super, super powerful story. Oh, absolutely. You are, I believe, a true inspiration to those who are feeling down, no matter how dark or no matter how bad they feel it is. I think that you are an inspiration that it can be turned around and definitely a lot, a lot of good, a lot of joy and a lot of hope can come of it. And where can people find you? Where's your website and how can they connect with Amanda? Well, first of all, thank you so much um, for all those kind words and I'm humbled. Um, My website is www.amandawebsterhealth.com and there, like I said, you can download the cheat sheet that gives you the top 10 nutrients, uh, the top 10 nutrient deficiencies that can affect your mental health. But you can also connect with me. I really love hearing other people's stories, other people's struggles. I love hearing how I might have helped or inspired someone else. Really anything. I just love connecting with people and hearing different experiences. I'm also on Instagram at Amanda Webster Health, and I just launched a YouTube channel, um, uh, youtube.com slash Amanda Webster Health. And there I do, I'm going to do yoga because uh, I'm a certified yoga instructor. So I'm going to do just little yoga pieces to teach people how to connect into their bodies, yeah. how to bridge that gap, like I said, between mental and physical health. But I already have affirmations in there that can help during a panic or anxiety attack. I have, I just did last week a really easy skill that we all can develop, a really easy little tool that I love in my toolbox that you can do anytime, anywhere that will teach you how to manage your stress that will in the moment snap you out of your anxiety and your panic and your stress and help you recenter and refocus. So it's just a really awesome little technique I I learned and I wanted to teach people. (laughs) I'm getting that toolbox today. Yeah, so that was was the last video I did on my YouTube. So I really just like to, you know, help people who might be struggling or just help people that need a little boost to improve their happiness. I just It is attainable. I just love that you have gone through something so, so traumatic, but you have been so vulnerable to share your story to so many people and then realised that you can connect your story and help so many people like you know you're you're a gift and thank you so so much because we even myself and Kai it's just amazing to actually see you face to face no one can see everybody she's (laughs) absolutely beautiful and she's got like these earphones on but they've got bunny ears so if you can see what we can see this lady is amazing and um Thank you so much for your time today. And we are going to be big followers, followers aren't we? Yeah, for yours sure. Thank now. you. Thank and, you so much, Amanda. Um, thank you so much, thank Amanda. We appreciate you being on It's More Than Money podcast. Thank you guys so much. It was an honor. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to It's More Than Money. This podcast has been recorded and produced at Brisbane Podcasting Centre. Before we go, don't forget to click on the subscribe button for this podcast and wherever you listen to it, give it a rating as well. If you'd like to find out more, you can always go to our website, parentfg.com, or you can find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Please leave a suggestion for a future topic if you wish. Either way, we'd love to hear from you, so let us know your thoughts. We'll have another episode soon. Thanks for listening to It's More Than Money. Take care and catch you next time. Listeners seeking support and information about this topic can reach out to Lifeline on 13 11 14 and Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36.
If you're listening outside Australia, reach out to a similar organisation in your part of the world.